0: Coming up on this episode of the Happy pair Podcast.
1: I've had the most amazing conversations about how often you use your dishwasher and should the kids cycle to XYZ at the side of the GAA pitch. You know, get people where they gather. Don't create another committee to support some environmental project you have in your town. Talk to people where you already see them. Convince them to come on board with you and listen to their ideas and then share the ideas, and then that ripple effect will build and build and build.
0: Welcome back to the Happy Pair Podcast. We're Dave and Steve, and we are delighted to have your attention. Massive shout out to Supervalue who we run this podcast with. They're a joy to work with. Try to support them. They're all about local, and do check them out. So each week, we bring on different guests that are going to help inspire us and inspire you to become happier and healthier within yourself. This week, we have the wonderful Dr. Tara Shine and Madeline Murray, and they're here to discuss climate change and simple little things that we can do on a daily, practical way to help the environment I know climate change can sometimes feel like this big massive thing and oh not about this but this was a fascinating conversation we got so much out of it it reminded us so many important things and so many practical takeaways this is important for everyone these two women have an incredible voice there's so many points here that are relevant to everyone and as we always say please let us know on social media what you enjoyed what you didn't enjoy any comments any guests you'd like us to get in the future and finally thank you for tuning in One of the challenges with the climate change issue nowadays is that we're so detached from the natural world. We live in an environment where we live in little boxes, we live in cars, we get in planes. We're part of the reason for this pandemic as well as this sense of detachment. And as our society becomes more complex, we tend to be furthering ourselves from the natural world. Is part of the solution to this climate change challenge that we're facing to get closer to nature?
2: Yeah, I think it's it's not just an answer to the climate change challenge. I think it's it's an answer to the biodiversity challenge, the mental health challenge that we face. It's it's an answer to everything. So I think many of us in 2020 had that opportunity to when we were restricted within our 2K and 5K zones to get to know our local environment better, to get outside more, to appreciate nature in our garden from the from our balcony, from walking in the local park, whatever it was. And yeah, like there's lots and lots of proof that that does connect us with and make us care and have more empathy for the natural world. It's also really good for our mental health. It's good for our mood and our outlook. So yeah, it's a it's a win win reconnecting. Whether that is like what you guys do and we do, it jump in the sea every day, or a walk, just a walk in the outdoors, uh, a run, a cycle, whatever it is, I, it's just precious. Yeah, twenty minutes in the outdoors improves your mood. Brilliant, That's brilliant. I love, love that
0: practical. Okay, okay. So something which which I can see, and this is on the climate. I guess the whole conversation is going to be about the climate and how we better that. But um, one thing like the pandemic, people were kind of very quick to jump on board and follow orders and really do what needed to be done because there was a chance of imminent death for personally or for loved ones. So everyone got on board. Climate change seems to be the biggest issue, biggest issue, many people have said of our generation. And I'm wondering, how do we make people care? Like, how do we get people to take it serious? Because it's very difficult. It's not like immediately going to kill me today. But, it, you know, it's just hard to wrap your head around
1: it. There's some positive um, research that have come, has come out to show that seven in 10 still do really care about climate action and are really worried about environmental damage and biodiversity loss. Um, So COVID has helped um, focus minds, I suppose, in terms of the kind of action that we need to take on climate. People are worried about floods and storms and how that will impact their livelihoods and their families. So the good news is the climate is still important to people.
2: And I think what we have to do is translate that sense of emergency that we have for something like a pandemic to how we react to climate change. So in Ireland, we've declared a climate and biodiversity emergency, um, but we haven't acted as if it's an emergency yet. So when it's an emergency, you see things happen like we've seen in COVID, which is that the government sets strong laws, rules uh, regulations And then it needs us, the individuals, to play our part too for it to work. So our individual action doesn't work without everybody doing it. That's government's role. But also government can set all the regulations. And if we don't live by them, again, we don't achieve the goal. So it's the exact same for climate change. We have to have governments, our own government, governments across the world leading, setting the rules, setting the norms, and then all of us playing our individual part. And that's why just with climate change, it's the same. It's about mixing individual actions with big systemic change.
0: Amazing. And what are what are things like if you guys were in charge of the government now, what would be policies that would be very beneficial to really fast track things? Because like you said, COVID, people, the government made very fast, hard decisions and everyone got on board and it's, you know, we're, we're doing a reasonable job at getting through it. So what would you, like if, in terms of climate change, what would be actions that would be really worthwhile taking?
2: So um, I recently presented a Royal Institution Christmas lecture about climate change, right? And so that's all aimed at a a young person, 11 to 17-year-old audience. And what's really good about that is it gets you to focus on saying what you need to say in a really simple way. And so the three things that we need to do is, one, we need to reduce our emissions. And the key thing there is no more fossil fuels. So that means we need to be producing all of our electricity from renewables, as fast as possible. So luckily, we've start, stopped burning coal and peat. That was really important step. Next is we need to end the oil. And that'll be followed by gas. And, and all of this time, we have to up, up, increase, increase our renewable energy. So that's, that's one thing. We also need to get the fossil fuels out of the rest of the system. So where we use them in industry and for transport, for getting around. So we're going to have to get around more using uh, electric cars or hydrogen vehicles for things like buses, for example, and even aeroplanes. So that's exciting. You know, it's going to be a whole new way of running of running the world. But number one is we just got to stop using fossil fuels and stop looking for them and stop valuing them the way we have done. The second thing we need to do then is we need to store more carbon in our natural environment. And this is where we go back to what your first question was. Nature is our friend in all of this. So if we look after nature, well, nature sucks up carbon and stores it away safely for us. So that means we need to plant trees, we need to restore our bogs and our wetlands. Uh, We need to invest in sustainable agriculture so that our soil is healthy and well and able to grow good food for us, but also able to suck up and hold, hold carbon dioxide within it. So that's the second thing we need to do is store it. And the third thing we need to do is adapt. Because one way or another, we've put a whole lot of carbon dioxide up there in the atmosphere. It's not going anywhere for hundreds of years. So we're going to have to adapt to living with, just like Madeleine spoke about, we're going to have to adapt to living with more storminess, with sea level rise. These things are going to happen. And, and a key way to adapt is to create a society which is more equitable, where we look after people that are most vulnerable. Again, big parallels with COVID. The people who are vulnerable now to the COVID pandemic will be the same people that will be most vulnerable to the impacts of climate change. So we have to create a fair, equitable, inclusive society. So those are the three things we need to do.
0: That's really digestible. So first one, fossil fuels. Second one, first one, no fossil fuels. Yeah, first no. one, no fos- <laughs> no fossil fuels. Second one is kind of ramping up and developing skills and like trapping carbon via yeah, wetlands and, and nature. Yeah, yeah. And then the third one there was again,
2: Adapt. So one way or another, we put so much carbon dioxide up into the atmosphere that the the climate is going to change, even if we stop burning fossil fuels today. So that means it is going to be stormier in Ireland. We're going to have more floods. We're going to have more coastal erosion. We're going to have sea level rise to some extent. So we have to adapt to that. We have to prepare. That's what that means. We have to prepare for these impacts. And one of the key things we can do, so we can do that by building flood defences and sea walls. and, And we can do it by also... Um, kind of, you know, investing in in nature. So again, so that, you know, if we have healthier hillsides, then when it rains heavily, we won't have landslides. If we invest in sand dunes, we protect uh, greystones from the impacts of sea level rise. But also if we invest in society and we make society fairer and more equitable and more inclusive, then we'll make everybody more resilient.
1: But there's no point in creating all these wonderful policy changes without communicating each of their impacts to the the regular punter on the street at every stage of the process. Because if you present a pile of complicated scientific jargon to the public, they're not going to embrace these policy changes and they're not going to support support them and they're not going to vote for them. They need to understand them. So the language needs to be really simple, easy to understand and so that the people can take action and support the government in this journey
0: brilliant um i, I have a good question just around soil you mentioned there the importance and uh, like i'm very aware of like the importance as humans the importance of having a diverse microbiome and kind of almost like our microbiome is often linked to the macrobiome, is in the the bacteria and when when i when i pick up a handful of soil often it's said that there's more bacteria and microorganisms in a handful of soil than there is humans in the whole of history and it's kind of like that is jaw-dropping and you mentioned there the importance of creating good ecosystems that can store carbon and you mentioned soil and one thing that i've become more aware of is Regenerative agriculture and the importance of organic farming, because ultimately most of our nutrition or our nutrition comes from the soil and the minerals in soil and modern day industrial agriculture often devoid soil, leaves soil barren, forgets about the importance of creating this natural symbiotic relationship. I'd just love to hear you talk about soil and the importance of regenerative agriculture. I'm just from a personal point
2: healthy soil is is where it's at so we need it to grow the food that we need to feed everybody but we also need it as this amazing carbon store but we'll only it can only uh, fill that role as an amazing carbon store and if it's really high in organic matter and it's really healthy soil and unfortunately yeah intensive agriculture tends to exhaust soil also intensive agriculture means that we use a lot of fertilizers and pesticides and fertilizer is one of the is a cause of climate change. So fertilizer releases something called nitrous oxide. It's a really, really powerful greenhouse gas, an awful lot more powerful than carbon dioxide. So again, another reason for um, changing our agricultural systems to be more organic, more regenerative, more sustainable is that then we won't have to use so many synthetic fertilizers, which will again reduce a cause of climate change as well. So the soils are both looking at how we manage soil is both uh, in terms of reducing our emissions and in terms of storing them and uh, and storing them away safely.
0: Amazing. So, so, okay, question for you back on your first one. So you said about carbon, we've got to cut out fossil fuels. So obviously uh, a question comes back to like COVID now, there's there's been very little travel in airplanes for nearly everyone. So has there been a reduction in fossil fuel usage over this last year in which COVID has existed? Or what is your, like, obviously there's been a lot more use of, You know, single-use plastics and single-use things in cafes and restaurants and all this. Have what would your thoughts be on it? Has there been less or more use of fossil fuels?
2: Um, There was a a short-term reduction um, in the use of fossil fuels when the pandemic first hit and everything sort of shut down. But if you've noticed, there's still you know um, planes are still running and. uh, ships are still transporting goods and um, industries, factories are still operating. They're still producing stuff. So whilst there was a short term blip and we might have a slight kind of plateauing of our emissions last year, it's not going to be sustainable unless we make these bigger changes.
1: But also as well, like shutting down the economy is not the solution to climate change. It's wholly unjust. And if you support a just transition where everyone is brought along and, and given a quality um, way to earn money and dignity in their work, then a just transition and you support a just transition, then you can't shut down the economy. So we need to find other ways to fight climate change.
2: Yeah, so we need to change the economy, not shut it down. Um, and, and in that change lies amazing potential for innovation. You know, our kids, when they grow up and your kids will think we were daft for owning a car, you know, um, they'll just have a share in a car when they when they need one. Um, You know, they they'll, they'll think that an awful lot of the ways that we've lived life that we live life now are inefficient or silly or like polluting. Like they'll wonder why we burnt coal in open fires to create heat when we had perfectly good alternatives and um, because they'll understand that that's you know um causing air pollution that's killing them and they won't want that you know so uh, within all of this lies great opportunity for innovation and for making our societies better so um what we want to get over is people thinking that taking action on climate change is pain it's not pain it's opportunity it's a it's an opportunity to make a better society
0: very refreshing attitude. Um, you've just written a book now about practical things that people can do on a personal level because often one of the challenges of this climate crisis is that it often seems just so big and I'm just one person and it's very disempowering. You've just written a book about simple practical things people can do on a domestic individual level. Can you talk one just let everyone know the title of the book and then two just about simple things that anyone listening could do that are very achievable and very practical that do make a difference?
2: Yeah, no, I'd love to. So within our work and Madeleine and I in Change by Degrees, um, we work with helping businesses and organizations to be more sustainable. But we also wanted to be able to better uh, support individuals to know what they could do, because even when we work with businesses, they still want to know each person, each employee, each member of the management wants to teach, team wants to know, but well, what can I do? So the book that I wrote is called How to Save Your Planet One Object at a Time. And the whole idea is to democratize. What it is to be sustainable so that you don't have to identify as green to be doing something about being sustainable. This is something for everybody. And so the objects in this book, there's almost 100 of them deal with everything from your kitchen to your bathroom, your garden shed to your gym bag. So there's something in there for absolutely everybody. And it kind of is. It, it takes away that kind of burden of, oh, my God, there's a big problem. What can I do? It gives you loads of simple, small things you can do to make change within your own life. And we believe, as Madeline said, that that's really important because the only way that people will vote for and support government taking the brave, ambitious changes they need to make in our society is if they feel part of it and see that there's a benefit to it to them. So, yeah, the book is uh, the book's available in all good bookshops. There's also a, a podcast that you can listen to if that's your preferred way of getting information. But you can just flick through What's it. What's the and name of the podcast? The podcast is called How to Save Your Planet as well. And um, there's links to the book and where you can buy it and the podcast on our website, changebydegrees.com.
1: And a lot of people would often ask us, you know, um, is individual action of any use? Does it make any true impact? And just to speak to what Tara said, there, the whole point is that individual action will drive systemic change. Because you, like the stainless steel water bottles, aren't going to solve the climate crisis. But if you can empower people to take all those small actions, then they might have a much more informed and have much more capacity around the kind of car that they're going to buy or the kind of heating they're going to install in that new house. And again, like I said, how they vote. So it can drive systemic change if an individual is genuinely empowered. And to disconnect individual action from systemic change is a missed opportunity.
2: Yeah, we have a quote that we love. So Christiana Figueres is a, is a friend of ours. She wrote the foreword for my book and she led the United Nations Climate Convention process that led to the Paris Agreement, which I'm sure you heard about, that about back in 2015. And she has a quote in her book, which she says, systemic change is a deeply personal endeavour. So we can't get to systemic change unless each individual, whether they're president of a country, CEO of a company or head of the parents association, is committed to making a change within their own life, within their own leadership in whatever way they lead within their community or their organization. So yeah, it, it starts with us, but us is every single person, whether they're the Taoiseach or you or me.
0: Jeez, you're incredible. You're incredibly inspiring women. This is fascinating. <laughs> I absolutely, um. am This is wonderful. Wonderful. Okay, so maybe let's make this very practical. So let's focus. Obviously, food is an area which we spend a lot of time. Let's focus in the kitchen and food. Can you tell us what are tips that we can do? Like, obviously, our food choices is one place to start on. And then back to the kitchen. How do we actually, you know, translate it to make it more climate friendly?
1: So food is our happy place. So (laughs) we definitely agree that there are huge. There's so many actions you can take in your kitchen. The most obvious one to us would be to get a brown bin so that you can actually compost food if it's available to you in your area. By law, if you live in an area of 500 people or more, you're entitled to a brown bin. So that would be one of our first biggest asks of people, because people throw out about 700 euros a year worth of food uneaten, and one in three bags goes into the bin uneaten, and that is wholly unsustainable. It makes no sense, hurts the planet, hurts your pocket. It's a total waste of money,
2: and it causes climate change. Yeah. Food waste is one of the biggest causes of climate change. If you put food waste in your brown bin or in your regular bin, excuse me, if you put food waste in your regular rubbish bin and it ends up in a landfill. It can decompose in there really slowly because there's no oxygen in there and releases a very, very strong and dangerous greenhouse gas called methane, the same one that cows burp. Yeah. And it it causes a lot of climate change. So avoiding waste food going into the rubbish is really, really important. Obviously, one step back from that is don't waste any food. Food is too precious. And so this is where, you know, some of the stuff that you guys work on is really important. Plan your meals. Make a list. Don't buy two punnets of plums because they're on special offer. If you have no idea, if you don't really like plums and you only vaguely think you might make something with them, only buy food that you're going to use. Learn to use your your freezer. Learn to cook. Number one, if you're not really confident in cooking from scratch, learn how to do it and learn to love your leftovers. Uh, We're big lovers of leftovers. Getting like creative with your leftovers is, is, is like where it's all at. So that we, A, we reduce the amount of food waste that we produce. And then B, yeah, don't put it in the bin, get a brown bin. Or if you live in the countryside um, and you have a garden, then you can just uh, buy a home composter um, and put all your uh, raw fruit, veg peelings and everything in there and then create a lovely compost, a lovely soil to put on your garden. And that leads to another co-benefit, which is, and please gardeners don't buy peat moss and put it on your garden and peat is the most amazing soil type in holding carbon and storing it to keep us safe so one of the most stupid things we can do in the world is sprinkle peat on our gardens to grow our plants so look for peat free compost whenever you get back into gardening this spring
0: Heat-free compost. Brilliant. And, and what about food choices? What would your recommendations be like for, because obviously there's so many different schools of thought in terms of food and it's a very religious issue with lots of people and it can be binary and all such things. But what are some bigger overarching things that we can do in terms of our food choices that are more environmentally friendly?
2: So uh, local is good. Um, and I love this one. This is a granny one, all things in moderation. And um, so I think that's really important So try and get if you if you if you try and get more diversity onto your plate, you're promoting more diversity within our food systems. Um, and that's important. What 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 tends to cause problems, whether it's from an animal welfare um, perspective or, or a farmer welfare perspective is when we're intensively producing a small number of of food products. So the more we can diversify is really important. The more local your food is, the more likely it is to be seasonal, the more likely it is to benefit your local economy. So, you know, you think about think about the farmers and their well-being as well as your own health and well-being. So I think, yeah, local is a key one and diverse. Get more colour on your plate. That's good for your health and your gut health, as you guys um, talk about a lot. But it's also better for the planet in that we'll be producing a a more diverse uh, set of crops than we are doing at the moment.
0: Yeah, I think importance of diversity is brilliant in terms of I know there was research in 2018 from the University of Oxford saying one of the single biggest things an individual can do in terms of food is to eat more plant centric. And it's not necessarily about being vegan or vegetarian, but as a society to eat more whole foods and local whole foods, as you said.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, and what. The interesting component of that and what we um, talk a lot about at Change by Degrees is um, the equity of that and so that it's affordable and that everybody can avail of something like that. So it is really important to eat more plant-based foods. But it, there's such a disconnect between buying that bag of lentils, for example, and then having any earthly idea of what to actually do with them. You know, it's actually a waste of money and totally unsustainable to buy lentils and leave them sit for six months on a shelf, you know. So it's all about getting people who would otherwise be very nervous and very wary of, of um, approaching those kind of foods, and more empowered to learn how to make really tasty stuff that they'll be glad that, to eat, and their family will enjoy to see on the plate.
2: Yeah, and I think you know, eat, eating more plants makes sense. As I say, get more colour on your plate. You'll get that through more plants. It's going to be, and like you guys talk about this all the time, but. You won't probably do this for the planet. You probably do it for your own health and well-being. You probably do because it makes you feel better. And that's fine. Our approach to sustainability is not focused on green and the environment part of sustainability. We're focused on the social benefits and the economic benefits, too. So you'll save money if you have a more plant-based diet. But you'll also socially, you'll you'll have better health and well-being if you eat more plants. So, um, you know, it is a win-win there. And then, as I say, if we create more demand in the system, we can help our farmers even here in Ireland to diversify. They need to diversify because our agricultural system is highly vulnerable to the impacts of climate change. One of the key ways to reduce your vulnerability to climate impacts is to be more diverse. Don't have all your eggs in one basket. We shouldn't focus only on one thing because it leaves us highly, highly vulnerable. So the more diversified our agricultural system in Ireland, the more resilient it is to those impacts of climate change.
0: Very good. Um, so, so sometimes being environmentally friendly, like it's hard, like it's genuinely hard and it's making hard choices. What are the bits that you struggle with personally yourselves? Like what bits do you find the hardest? Because I know, do, do you have kids?
2: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, many. you both have kids. Okay. So then, yeah, you've got
0: many. So, so therefore, you know, the challenges of juggling all these things and the constant, you know, demands on as a parent, not to mind as a member of society and all these things. What parts do you find the most difficult?
1: i'll go first (laughs) um basically so i live in the countryside which is absolutely stunning i live by the beach which means i can swim every day um but it means i'm in my car a lot right so i really struggle with that i've got four kids so i need a big car um, and the roads that i want to cycle on are wholly inadequate because of infrastructure in ireland so i'm at a total Uh, You know, I'm in a total flux the entire time about wanting to be environmentally friendly, wanting to take my family to cycle into the shops while being mindful that I want to keep everyone alive and safe, but also getting exercise and reducing my emissions. So that's that's something I really struggle with. And I want them to be able to cycle to school. It, It fosters independence. It's good for their mental health. It's great to show up to school having done 20 minutes of exercise, but it's still it's not safe yet for them to do that because of the way. Uh, the rural system is and the roads and how poor the rural infrastructure is so that's something I struggle with all the time
2: uh, yeah I'm a militant walker uh, and my kids hate it they, they hate <laughs> that I make them walk to school all the time they make them walk to everything um, but you know I have to practice body preaching these are things we can do they like most of my vegetarian food um but not all of it um if it was just me there'd be no meat in my house uh, but I, I don't live on my own. I live with, uh, I live with a family who likes some meat in their lives. And so what I do is I just choose that really carefully. I don't buy a lot of it and I buy it the best quality I can. Um, and, and I mix it up and I just don't call things vegetarian. I just say, well, this curry is their favorite curry. It's the yellow one. It just happens. It <laughs> I like that. Chickpea and, and sweet potato, but that's fine. You know, I didn't dwell on it, having a label. It's just good nutritious food and it's what I made for dinner. So eat it. Um, But yeah, so you, you, you know, another really fun example I have is that, uh, uh, I have this biodegradable washing up liquid that I get, and it's in a refillable bottle. So I have the same bottle, I know, three years or something now. my husband has, uh, by sneaky bottles of fairy liquid because he thinks it's superior to my biodegradable stuff. So again, when you live in a family, you can't change everybody's mind. Um, but you do what you can, you you do, and and never feel bad. We're not perfect. I'm sure you guys aren't perfect either. We're not Perfect. We're full of imperfections we don't leave a perfect zero waste life um, we're busy mothers working mothers like others um, you know there's also a, a affordability aspect to this too it's easier to be sustainable to be honest if you've got more money in your pocket um, and and if you've grown up as we've been lucky to with the skills passed on from our mums in particular around how to cook we both love to cook and we're confident cooks it's much harder if you if you haven't learned those skills um, from growing up and you need to learn them then as, as an adult so that you can make the most of foods that are nutritious and affordable.
1: I think one benefit actually from lockdown, if I dare say it, there is a benefit, but is that um, the kids now know what ingredients go into different dinners, into different cakes, all that, all that good thing, good, good stuff. They didn't before, they were quite passive, you know, so I, I love the notion that my child now, understand how to make the best brownies or knows what goes into a good stir fry and will pick and choose the vegetables from the fridge for me to put it into dinner and we mightn't have ever created that dynamic had lockdown lockdown not existed you know
0: yeah, wow. Uh, and in terms of one of the, another challenge of the climate change is that it can often be an all or nothing thing. It's like, oh, why bother? Because it's very easy to criticize. And like I know we're often exposed to, it. you know, we're meant to be advocates for the environment. People go, oh, there you are driving your petrol car. And, you know, it's, it's easy to attract criticism. And after that, you can feel deflated and go, oh, fuck it, I'm not even going to bother, you know, that type of thing. So how do we as a society learn to do what you're doing, encouraging little small baby steps and that it's not about perfection and that we'll get there how do we encourage our society are the the baby steps enough
1: well that goes back to the point that we originally made there um baby steps matter um in and of themselves no but combined and this glorious ripple effect will occur and they will matter so we would always say and again it's back to that societal piece i've had the most amazing conversations about um how often you use your dishwasher and should the kids cycle to x y and z at the side of the gaa pitch you know that's Get people where they gather. You know, don't create another committee to to support some environmental project you have in your town. Talk to people where you already see them and then convince them to come on board with you and listen to their ideas and then share the ideas. And then that ripple effect will build and build and build.
2: Yeah, I think, look, nobody can stand being preached at. And I think that's something we've got wrong. I say as well, as someone in the, as an environmental scientist of 20 plus, 30 years now, and um, we have been a bit preachy and we've been very doom and gloomy and it hasn't worked. So it's not just about you changing something within your life. So you might get a reusable water bottle. You might wash your clothes less. You might stop using your tumble dryer. You might get an electric car, right? That's what you do. The real power of you doing that is when you tell your peers your friends your family people will listen to you as a trusted friend and peer and not feel preached at to you where they would be by somebody that they don't know or someone that they perceive to be more perfect and more green so your influence isn't just on the changes you make in your own life it's on that it's on the change that you demonstrate and as madeline said the ripple effect that you cause when people who trust you and like you listen to what you say and follow your example following, setting an example and letting people follow you is much more powerful than just shouting about what people should do. Um, and way more impactful. So yeah, your your ripple effect is your is your secret power.
0: Brilliant. Uh, Madeline, so you, so you said about one of the, like you find it, you struggle with having a car and having to use a car a lot. Like are electric cars sustainable? Are they something that, you know, or if, what are your theories on that? Like, because... Previously, pre-lockdown, you know, people liked going beyond 5k and how do we manage this? There's a lot of cars in this country. And then often a lot of the electricity is coming from non-renewable sources. So is it the panacea that they're being heralded as?
1: They are. They're absolutely an answer to climate change. And a hydrogen car is even better, though, um, if we were to continue on that thread of innovation. Um One thing that you just touched on there, which is interesting, is this point that they mightn't actually be charged. Like if you're plugging it in every night, it mightn't be charged through renewable energy. And that's such a simple switch that you can make in your home. You can literally ring up your provider and within 10 minutes you can receive green energy into your home. And people don't know to do that. And Irish people are slowly getting better at checking out their utility providers and where all their options are coming from. But that's a small action that you can take around your electric vehicle. And over the long term, yes, electric vehicles are more sustainable and better for the environment. Mm.
2: So, yeah, there's I obviously dealt with um, electric car, cars within my book. Um, and so on the current energy mix, um, a, an electric vehicle has a, a an environmental footprint that is 20 to 27 percent less than a regular petrol or diesel car. Um, and that environmental benefit will increase the more renewable energy we put onto the grid. Are electric cars the answer to everything. No. If we replace every single car on the road today with another electric car, we don't solve the problem. We have to walk more, cycle more, make it possible for Madeleine and her kids to cycle into town here in Kinsale safely. That's a better option. More public transport. That's a that's a key investment that we need to make as a country. So, yeah, if I was Taoiseach tomorrow, I'd be investing a lot of money in public transport. Um, but so EVs are part of the uh, part of the solution. But there's something that is if if you live in a rural area, if you need a car, yes, an electric vehicle, even already right now, is a better um, a better choice environmentally. If you can afford it, then a petrol or diesel car. And something that we talk a lot about is, is also the people are very unaware, particularly of diesel cars, of the air pollution that they cause. And they're causing this air pollution right at the level of, of our kids and any of us that that walk along busy streets. So air pollution kills over a thousand people a year in Ireland. Way more people than die of road accidents. Yet we don't have any public awareness around the impacts of air pollution. So um if if even not for climate change. Um, getting out of a diesel car is really important in terms of our health so the more the less diesel cars we have on the road uh, the better our air quality will be and I think that's something we can all connect with I got a
0: question in terms of timelines so you know like running a business, there's lots of timelines of things that might happen or goals which you might strive towards. Like, what are some climate timelines? Because like in COVID, we know that, you know, we're in the thick of it, but maybe in six months after the vaccine, life might get better. What are the timelines in terms of if we don't take action? And what are like, you know, how how imminent is this?
1: So, yeah, we're in it. We're We're in it. it. It's now
2: like climate change is not a future problem. So 2020 was the year we were supposed to bend the curve on our emissions. So stop them globally going up and bend them to come down. So we're supposed to have plateaued in 2020. Let's see if we did, if we do, yeah? So we had COVID, COVID for negative reasons may have helped us to slow slow a little bit the growth of emissions. But now what we need to do 2021 and onwards is bring it right down. By 2030, we have to have halved or more than halved global emissions, okay? That's big. We have to half it in 10 years. So every single month mm-hmm. and week, of the next decade really matters. If we don't have our emissions by 2030, we're gonna make it really hard to achieve this goal, which you might've heard of, which is to have net zero emissions by 2050. That means that by 2050, we have to balance the amount of of, um, greenhouse gases we're putting into the atmosphere with the amount that we're storing, extracting, and sucking up elsewhere. So that's a big big change we need to uh, create in our society. So actually the most exciting and most important time is the next 10 years. And um, So if you're working in a business now, don't think this is something that you're going to do next year or the year after. This needs to be part of your business plan right now. And because more and more customers, clients are going to look to see, well, what are you doing to be sustainable? Your employees, the people you want to recruit, that great talent that you want to join your team, they're going to say, well, here, are you serious about this stuff? Because this is this needs to be your business purpose for the next while. So, yeah, the, the timeline is. 2020 has to be been the year that our emissions were greatest the biggest from now on they have to start to decline they have to more than half by 2030 and they need to get to net zero by 2050
0: wow so so when does when do people wake up like because like obviously well, when do we when do when, we, when do we a, wake up because even us we're like we've been like and we get distracted all the time and talking to you again i get reminded oh yeah i remember years ago we were so into this and even the last couple of years we've been so into it and then you get distracted by life and just the general humdrum of life and you can, and then you see something again and you watch some documentary like, oh yeah, this is this is going to be my sole purpose. And then you forget again. So how do we bake this into everyone? Because like what you said there, this like 2020, we were meant to have curbed it and 2021, it's meant to start getting less. I imagine this is probably highly likely not the case. So... Like, how do we get all these heads, get like, there's a huge amount of us on the planet and obviously it needs to be a collective. And, and excuse the the broadness of this question.
1: <laughs> yeah, but I think as well, it's talk, It's about handling your your circle of influence, right? So for you guys, for example, and we've done a lot of um, organizational training, there's a great um, program called Modus, which trains up small to medium sized enterprises in the circular economy, which is all about slowing the flow and creating a whole new way to operate and do business. Um, but it's about it's about networking through your circle of influence so that um, there's an opportunity for you, say, in the food sector to, like, tell the good stories, spread the word, share your secrets so that other people within your network and other people within your sector will take courage and be more ambitious. we like a change of our degrees. What we always say is we love to take you to the very edge of the mountain and we'll leap off with you. You know, raise ambition around what you hope to achieve. And I think it's really important to benchmark that so that you can measure it and report back accurately, because that's really important for your team, for all your stakeholders, so that they can see, God, we did actually make incremental change there, but we did massively here. You know, and then that it's not just environmentally focused. It's not just about resource efficiency. It's equally about mental health and well-being for your staff. It's about societal impact within your community that you operate in. So that all of these things help show that your circle of influence is changing with you um, and because of you.
2: Yeah. And if it keeps falling off your agenda, that means it isn't in your core business purpose and strategy. So you need to look at your business plan, not create some kind of sideline sustainability strategy. And it has to be this isn't CSR anymore that we're talking about corporate social responsibility. That's not enough. Sustainability has to be in your purpose. So what we do is we help organizations and businesses here in Ireland and beyond to put sustainability in their business purpose, to put it in your objectives for this year, to reflect it in your KPIs. So it doesn't get forgotten. It doesn't fall off the agenda because it's a key part of who you what you're about. And that matters whether you're like the happy pair or a government department or a big multinational. It's all the same. If you it's no longer acceptable to have sustainability in a in a side policy or a side document it needs to be core to your to your values and your purpose and if you do that then you won't forget it it won't get superseded by other things
1: so the only way to do that properly if you're an organization then is to make sure that every business unit in your organization owns it so that accounting is as accountable to sustainability as hr as is operations, as is facilities, that every single business unit in the organization knows what your sustainability promise means for them at their desk, in the projects they de- they design, in the packages they produce. And mm. It's so important that everyone in the business owns it, or else it just won't really be authentic, you know, and it won't deliver on the kind of ambition that you have.
2: Yeah, and that's why I guess a lot of our work is like, both top down and bottom up with organizations. We go top down, helping people to write strategies and do this kind of map their business against the UN sustainable development goals and know what their sustainability purpose is. But also, we do lots of bottom up. So, working with all the employees within an organization, making sure they're on board, they feel part of the sustainability journey that the business is on, so that they can be the best possible ambassadors. Like, you want everybody that works for Happy Pair to be able to articulate why you're a sustainable business. Um, and, and how you're a sustainable business and what your long-term vision is as a sustainable business. And that means you need to engage every single member of your uh, employees, of your employees, of your team.
1: And what's amazing about that is then you're harvesting all these remarkable ideas that your employee base have. I mean, all they're looking for is to be asked about what they think and how they can, happy pair or whoever make change. And once you start documenting them and taking action on certain certain projects, you're just building capacity. And then there's the ripple effect again. They all have homes. They go home and make decisions that are specifically sustainable for their family. And then they go tell their friend at the GAA pitch or at the Historical Society or on the Parents Association. Suddenly you've got the school on board and hey, presto, we're actually making change.
0: Brilliant. Uh, If you were to ask listeners to do one thing today, what would it be?
2: Mine is to be curious about stuff. Ask questions. Just don't ever accept anything as as good enough. So read the ingredients on food. Yeah. Ask why the bin company haven't given you a brown bin. Um, be demanding of governments, local representatives when they ask you what what you want in in your in your community. Um, be if something if you're going buying something, be curious. Research it. Find out does it have any kind of sustainable ethical angle to it at all I talk about in this in the book don't just buy a computer based on which one you can get the best deal on try and look look into it and see whether they're doing something about recycling computers uh reusing uh metals to make new ones this type of thing so for me be curious ask questions that's my one thing what's yours (laughs) (laughs)
1: um The one thing that I would say is to um, start these conversations with your children in your home while you actually have time to sit down with them and ask them their opinions on it and and allow them to speak freely about what they think a healthy planet looks like. Ask them to describe what a, a loving, inclusive community looks like. And you'd be amazed at the wealth of knowledge they will give. Like they will they will do a visioning exercise that will put the rest of us to shame and then aim for that aim for that vision with them and, and afford them the opportunity to be as sustainable in any way they can so that like you'll see them emptying their half-full water bottles into plants. They'll, you'll see them shutting off the tap when they're brushing their teeth. You'll see them reminding their coach at soccer not to buy any more single-use plastic water bottles. Just encourage them to use their voice and spread their knowledge and help them learn.
2: Yeah. And if you're if you're um, just look, because we're back down in lockdown, if anybody out there is looking for something to do with their kids, whether you're a teacher or a parent, we have an online program called Plastic Free oh, for yeah. Kids. It's got eight online lessons. It helps your kids um, to become plastic free ambassadors in their school, and their community. And um, it's got lots of little activities for you to do Um it's just easy watching. It's up on our YouTube site. Uh, YouTube site, But again, if you go to our website, changebydegrees.com, you'll find all the information.
1: But it's really plastic
0: free. free. Plastic free for kids. For kids,
1: yeah. yeah. It's all free. So it's just something you can, the kids can plop down in front of the laptop with and happily learn something mm-hmm. and then hopefully educate the family.
2: <laughs> yeah, we put it together with Anne Foles, who's a primary school teacher. So it meets all the... Um, curriculum requirements um, for the primary school system here here in Ireland, um, and she presents it so it's really well explained, really easy for kids, and exciting for kids to get involved. We actually in.
1: had a sign up from Uganda during the week. Wow,
2: court.
1: isn't
0: that amazing? It's yeah, amazing, yeah. She "I'll do that with my kids later." That's a great yeah, one.
2: Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So there's eight of them. You know, pace yourself. <laughs> <laughs> okay. they're Gun only about reminder. 10 minutes each but you know take your time <laughs>
0: a, a, a question which keeps burning in my head is uh, like so over the last year we haven't got to travel off this island and I know like I love Ireland I love where I live I love Grayson I adore it but I love it even more when I get to go away every now and again and obviously none of us very few of us have got to leave this island in the last year what are your thoughts on travel do you get on planes how can we minimise this and how can we still get away to go see the sun because it's really nice to get away as well
1: yeah so a qualifier straight away yes we do get on planes and bring our families on holidays again because we're not zero waste and we're not perfect but we don't travel or your travel specifically has drastically decreased yeah so Tara was permanently on planes for many years as part of her work
2: yeah and I made a really conscious decision that I didn't want to do that anymore and actually the the pandemic is going to let me to do a lot less of it so I think we can all look at traveling the the transactional travel I would say has to go so this silly go somewhere to to, sign a paper to sign a paper to do a conference to do a meeting for an hour like flying over to London for a one-hour meeting let us never do that again, right? That is the most bonkers use of time and resources. I have, I'm lucky. I have been to every continent on the planet. I have travelled extensively as part of my work. I used to travel and live lots in Africa, and um, it's it was it's been a great. It's just brought so much value and learning to me as, as an individual. Um, but what I'd love us to see, I'd love to see us doing, is more travel to explore and understand. Other cultures to understand the natural world better. To take our time, like could could we do sl- less travel but slower, more immersive travel? So could we take the time maybe and and take the car and the ferry and go to France and Spain, but instead of going for a week and maybe doing that twice or three times in a year, take take one three week chunk off and let's change work systems so we're allowed to do this and and then go and embed yourself in the place and explore and learn from it, so that it's not just going to lie in a sun lounger for a week and come home because you haven't learned anything from that but this kind of i just feel like if we are have to change what travel is all about but, but travel for learning travel to understand other cultures travel to be kinder to other parts of the world because you've understood them and you have a connection with them i think that will remain important for our whole life and i think whilst transport is a tricky one to make sustainable particularly um air travel uh, there's loads going on there around uh biofuels around hydrogen flight solar flight the first um passenger uh flight on hydrogen happens in the uk uh, just in 2020 so that's exciting stuff to think that we could fly with zero pollution hydrogen yeah, allows the only us to byproduct
1: fly, is water yeah
2: allows us to fly with zero pollution so it will change too but in the interim i would just say let's get really choosy about when we travel and let's make it really worthwhile for us and our and our families and like in terms of business travel let's just knock it on the head unless it's really really needed we can do nearly everything on zoom teams whatever now and um, it's not a complete substitute but it surely could get a lot of the meetings out of the out of the calendar for the year
0: very true thanks Emil. This has been such an enlightening, inspiring, reminding. empowering, reminding conversation. Um, really appreciate it. thanks so much. Can you remind uh, anyone listening just about your book or where they can learn more because you're both very inspiring women that have you know reignited my commitment
2: Good, good yeah so in um, changedbydegrees.com, dot change by degrees is our is our is our business. so if you're a, if you're a business and you want help to be more sustainable, go to change by degrees um, if you're an individual, then look for my book. How to Save Your Planet One Object at a Time. That's in all good bookshops now, or you can buy it uh, directly from us. Send us an email, info at changebydegrees.com. And the other thing we mentioned was our program for kids, Plastic Free for Kids. You can find the links to that on our website as well. Eight, 10-minute videos that you can go through with your kids and learn lots and get inspired around actions you can do with, you know, little activities you can do with them at home.
0: Final, final question. Could you both give us three foods that people could eat more of for 2021?
2: potatoes Uh, because we can grow them here at home so my kids like uh, potatoes and sweet potatoes both of those always go down a treat
1: yeah I'm trying to do more inventful things with carrots because mine actually thankfully like to eat them raw but I want to try to to get them to roast them and I want them to eat them with honey and maple syrup and all those good things on them as well
2: yeah and even just like with your kids because we're homeschooling now you know let's make bread and let's see what all the different stuff is we can get out of the cupboard that we can throw in this bread so we can throw oats in it we can throw seeds in it it's going to be then they're involved in making it they eat it when it comes hot out of the oven It, it exposes them to all these other you know kind of random dry ingredients that are in your cupboard that they perhaps haven't got their heads around yet
1: you'll see that we didn't say like avocados or mangoes or some stuff like that like again back to that piece about trying to stay local Um, and trying to buy stuff that's in season. So when the farmer's markets are back on, the best lesson you can teach your kid, forget the maths, forget Mm -hmm. the Irish, bring them down to the farmer's market and stand them in front of the vegetable stall and tell them that's what's going to be on your plate for dinner tonight. Pick three vegetables. And then they'll know what what grows in March or what grows in Mm -hmm. in, in January or whatever.
2: And I mean... You know, the thing is that if you've got that flexibility now, so for us, we're normally working when the farmer's yeah. market is on in Kinsai, and we don't always get there. But if if at the moment there's that flexibility to get there, then and you, and your kid isn't in school, which they normally are, then you know, bring them down and let them see. And in the summer, you know, visit those fruit farms, visit the open farms, because the more kids understand food, get them growing food, we're really happy that we work also with with GIY around helping people to grow food. Um, any bit of understanding about food helps people to to value it more you guys know this but um, I don't know if we answered three foods each no, there
0: we We got potatoes we got oats we got carrots perfect and sweet potatoes there, so there's four so thank you um, once again just thanks so much this has been a wonderful conversation really really appreciate it please keep doing your work and uh, we are very grateful yeah we look forward to future conversations
2: thank you great thanks guys lovely chatting to you both that
0: was wonderful. Even myself, I didn't know a huge amount about Tara and Madeline before getting to speak with them. And I learned so much. of found it. it's such an engaging and so real and practical. As two mothers it wasn't idealistic it was just about simple little things that we can do I enjoy that immensely yeah I found it great to hear that they still do travel and they still like going on planes even with the climate change and their job so uh, yeah I hope you got lots of nuggets out of that let us know on social let's get a conversation going about global warming about how we can do what the practical day-to-day things do hit us up on social media at The Happy Pair big shout out to Super Value who sponsored this episode coming up next week we have an amazing conversation about mindfulness the importance of vulnerability and addressing masculinity in modern day society Conversations with the wonderful Niall Breslin, also known as Brezzy. Stay tuned and check it out.